Hey, everybody. You are listening to A Smart Guy and a Dumb Guy. I'm your resident nerd and smart guy, Johnny Morrison. And this is our co-host, musician, filmmaker, guy with a brand new single, and unduly named dumb guy, Christian Surge. Thank you. Yes, the new single. People seem to like it. They're it's listening great. to it. They're dancing. Thanks for sharing it, by the way. Yeah. If you don't know what the single is called yet, it's called I Am Alive. Uh, Google up Christian Surge. I Am Alive. It's on Spotify or Apple Music. Let's get right to it. For the next 23 minutes or so, we're going to have a conversation today about culture, current events, and a little bit of politics from both a smart and dumb point of view. But first, one of my musical idols died recently, and I just, I'm bummed out. Eddie Van Halen, come on, jump. David Lee Roth, eruption. You know, I gotta be honest with you, Christian, I I don't feel super familiar with Van Halen music. I feel more familiar with older white guys who have Van Halen tattoos. (laughs) Well, they're probably one and the same. You know, if you know rock and roll music, you know Eddie Van Halen, but did you know that Eddie Van Halen played the solo on Michael Jackson's Beat It. No. And did you know that he wasn't paid for it? Rolled into the studio, Quincy Jones said, hey, can you come film the studio on this kid's album? Really quick. So while the band was out of town, he rolls into the studio, records this solo, and he's like, hey, whatever, this kid, I'll just play this you know, solo. And it becomes this major hit. That's awesome. That he didn't get paid for. And he was actually named after someone else. Can you make a guess? It's going to be either Bach or Beethoven. It's going to be either one of the two, so I have a 50% chance. Yeah. Uh, let's go with Bach. You are wrong. Originally from, Am- <laughs> Originally from Amsterdam, Van Halen's Dutch parents named him Edward Ludwig Van Halen after Beethoven. Huh. Ludwig Van Beethoven. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know I don't know much, but I do understand that Eddie Van Halen is a kind of like central figure to the development of rock and roll and how we play the guitar and how we even think the guitar can be played. You know, I was walking in the, uh, the NAM show. It's a national association of music merchants. It's in Nashville a year. And then it's in like San Diego a year or something like that. I'm in Nashville and I'm, I'm walking really fast and I'm telling a buddy of mine, I'm like, Oh, come this way, come this way. And I turn, I'm, I'm walking backwards and I turn around and I run into this guy and um, I run into him like, oh, I'm so sorry. And I grab a hold of him and I'm like, oh, I almost knocked him down. And he's like, you know, he's like, it's okay. It's okay, guys. It's all right. I, um, I've got to, I'm just, I'm just right here. I got to stop into here. So as he rolls in, I hear everybody going, Eddie, Eddie. Whoa. So we stick around. I'm like, who is this guy? And he sits down and he starts playing the guitar. And I'm like, I think that's Eddie Van Halen. Crazy. So not, I didn't meet him, but I ran into him, almost knocked him over. And the problem is, is that he'd already cut his hair. So I, I didn't know. Like, oh, you just didn't yeah. know so if you look at the article, you'll see it down at the bottom where he uh, cut his hair. He just doesn't look like the Eddie Van Halen that we all know. But I love rock stars. They go to the strangest places and find the coolest clothes <laughs> from red striped pants to all kinds of things. The other thing I wanted to chat about really quick is... And I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, just like we didn't last weekend, but we have to talk a little bit about the debates, don't mm-hmm. we? We got to. Have to mention it. Why? Well, why do we need to talk about it? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, that's a good question. I, I do think that this debate, the, the vice presidential debate, uh, in terms of things that happen in the universe, is a pretty insignificant one. It, very insignificant, you say? Yeah. Why? 
Well, I don't know that we learned much from the conversation between Pence and Kamala Harris. I don't know that it was uh, anything spectacular or anything like terrible, like the Biden Trump debate. And, and, and maybe that's actually kind of a good thing. It felt sort of normal uh, in terms of political debates, but it also just feels like, you know, here are these two figures that unless they're president dies or gets sick, which I guess is possible because Biden will be 78 and Trump is recovering from COVID and is 74, I think. Like mm-hmm. they don't play a significant role in the same way the president does. Sure, sure. You know, to be honest, it was the first time I'd actually really heard Kamala speak. Oh, interesting. And to be honest, Mike Pence, I didn't follow his podcast or I haven't really followed her career. So for me, it was really interesting because I was like, I don't even know these two. Mm-hmm. And so to watch uh, their personalities and to actually watch a debate where they actually debated and just weren't completely ridiculous was actually a little refreshing because mm-hmm. we, we got to hear a little bit about who they were, who they supported. And, uh, you know, I, I really appreciated. I did some fact checking on the things they said, and I thought that was really interesting. I think they, they both, uh, I would say... 75 to 80% were correct on their facts. Uh, a lot of Kamala's, Kamala Harris's ha- had to be kind of taken in context. And Pence, he, he threw a few big bones out there, but hmm. what do you expect from politicians? They lie. I, I mean, that's, that's the truth. I was thinking about that with the conversation, like right at the beginning of the debate, the conversation between COVID response and Kamala's, I think had very fair criticisms of the Trump administration's handling of coronavirus. But I, th- I found Pence's response very interesting in that it was just basically the opposite. It was like, no, we've done a really good job and 2 million people could have died. And that's what some experts predicted. And only 210,000 have died. And though that's not good, it's better. That's a fascinating thing because it's like, I guess both those things are true at the same time. Hmm. Right? Like what I think, I think Kamala Harrison's criticism is right. Like that is atrocious, but I guess Pence is also right in that if you perceive it that way, that they had did you know the best job they could have done or whatever. Not that I'm not trying to say I agree with that, but it's just an interesting moment to see how like it's a bigger conversation than simply what happened on the ground in that moment. All of a sudden, it's it's these type of conversations where I see people argue and it seems to sway them one way or the other, or. You know, they say by the time the debates happen, everybody's kind of decided. And even after this debate, the stats were in that people decided that it was kind of split. Mm. Like nobody swayed either way. Mm-hmm. We got more entertainment from the fly on Mike Pence's head uh-huh. than we did, you know, on finding any kind of valuable information. So my question is, why is this so important? Why are these subjects so important? Why do they stand up there and argue about whether or not Trump said the virus was a hoax or whether or not... You support or deny ban on fracking. I don't know if either side is going to stop fracking, even though it's a horrendous practice that's mm-hmm. destroying our planet. It's like we need oil, I suppose. And unless we can all get on board with this third industrial revolution and in mm-hmm. electricity by 2035, we're just going to continue to destroy the earth. So are these arguments really what is going to decide the election? And if it is, why are people letting this? Like, why are these important to people? Hmm. I mean, that's an interesting question. I mean, I, I think you're right. Like, I don't think the arguments will sway the election. We've already, just exactly what you cited. They're not changing anybody's opinion. And I think that more than anything else, what we saw on stage, like if, if politics 
can be viewed along a spectrum. I don't think that the people might get mad at this, but I don't think that Kamala and Pence are as far away from each other as we hype them to be in a partisan mm-hmm. climate. And I think like personally, I want to remove myself from that spectrum altogether and offer something that's like so radical, a part of it, or at least I'm personally so far on the other, like so far away from where they are on the spectrum that to me, it feels like this is mostly just bad. Most of the things you're saying are bad. I think you're right about the, (laughs) all of it. But I think particularly when you said they're rather similar at the end, Pence claims that they were on polar opposites, one very liberal and one very conservative. And I have to kind of agree with you. It was a little bit more of this kind of mashed up bananas in a trail where you mm-hmm. could just kind of wander to the left a little bit, wander to the right a little bit, mm-hmm. and just kind of slip around. And that was kind of a gross image. Yeah, I totally agree with that. It's like we're both arguing about the same system. And I think that most of us recognize this system is broken, but you have two people who are arguing so aggressively about how to fix the system when I think some of us are like, what if we just left the system altogether? Like this house is falling apart and you guys are intensely arguing about how to rebuild it. And we're like, the foundations are just bad. It can't be fully refixed. Let's just do something a little different. Yeah. Yeah, Leaving the house, I think... That is probably a good option for some of us. <laughs> you know, I have a friend who put in his mail-in ballot for California and is using ballottracker.com mm. and his ballot was rejected. And so he went on this tirade about the mail system. I said, well, I don't know if it's the mail system. Your ballot obviously got there, but they got rejected. So my question to him was, who owns ballot tracker? Is it a Russian company? Is it a Chinese company? Is your ballot really rejected? Or are they just telling you that? That's funny. I feel like people worry too much about politics. We, and in that, we worry too much about what the politicians say, and we don't get involved, like you always say, local, or voting for our senator, or our mm-hmm. mayor, or things like that. And I think it's a problem. Yeah. Well, I think it, you know, there's, a, there's a tension in the conversation that we're having right now where like the house is on fire and we want to leave the house and we want to leave it, I think, both emotionally and we want to figure out how to leave it more like practically. But then you have to hold it with the tension of like, yeah, but we do live here and other people mm-hmm. live here. And so we have to engage at some level, but then also it's unhealthy at some level. And so how do we, what do we do with like that tension um, which, which actually leads to the conversation that I wanted to have today anyways, which is less about uh, like the pragmatics of being involved and more about the like emotional toll that being incredibly involved in politics has. And the thing that got me thinking about this was an article from The Atlantic, um, which basically makes the argument that the more time you spend consuming partisan media and political media of any kind, but specifically partisan media, the more you become less happy, less well-liked, less accurate, and less informed. And so the question I wanted to ask out of that is, are we talking about politics too much? And how do we protect ourselves while also staying engaged and active? Because these things do matter. Two things. You sent me this article like 10 minutes before the show, and so I haven't (laughs) read it. It's number two. 
uh, these Atlantic articles, man, they go way <laughs> over my head. I can't even understand past the first. I actually kind of get bored after the first <laughs> couple paragraphs. So I know you're going to tell me about it. But third, I know I said two things, but third thing, the question that you ask is, are we reading too much political news? And the statistics are that when you're too political, you lose your friends. I've unfriended, I don't know, five or six of my close friends mm-hmm. on social media because they just won't stop yakking about politics. And I know I'm probably guilty of that as well and have had people mute me, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think it's true. Yeah, I think, I mean, it does happen. I, I was just having this conversation actually with someone this week. And this was the question they were asking. They were like, I feel like I need to stay involved because these issues matter so much. And it really does feel like, and is true that these issues affect people's lives. And like my life, the least is like a white guy, like it affects my life the least. And so I have the most luxury to say that I should be less involved. Hmm. But at the same time, like if that's true, if you're losing friends, if you're becoming less happy, and if you're becoming less accurate and less informed, then we have to find some way to protect ourselves while staying engaged. What do we typically fight about as people? Or what's, the, there's like an old adage that says, don't talk about death or taxes or no, wait, that's like, that's sh- everything sure, but except for death and oh, taxes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think, yeah, religion and politics though are the things you're not supposed to talk about. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, my dad used to say, talking about religion and politics, you can either gain a friend, but most likely you might lose a friend mm-hmm. because it becomes such a big argument. Wars are fought over religion mm-hmm. and politics. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's true in our own lives. Like we do the same thing in our friendships and our relationships. And I think these seasons from 2016 to 2020, I I think that if you were to talk to other people about just their social media usage, like you were naming, I bet a lot of us would say like, yeah, we've unfollowed or unfriended many people, some of whom we've known for decades because of the intensity, the vitriol that we see on their page. And it makes us feel personally. The question Christian is like, what do you do in order to stay engaged and yet also protect your relationships and your own like well-being? Do you do that? You know, over the four months of COVID, this was a stressful household because me and my wife didn't see quite eye to eye. And we really had to struggle through like you said, the tension of our belief structure and what it meant to have empathy and what it meant to keep people safe was different. So Mm. the core levels uh, were different. And that was really because of politics, I suppose. The Mm. idea that the facts were being misguided and, and, uh, I don't know, pushed differently. I think that, I don't know if I want to say this. You you have to now. (laughs) I think that I want my kids to marry somebody from the same political party. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I love that. That was one of the features of this article. It's like that. It was? Yeah, literally it was one of the features of this article that was like, if you measure like the stats on how often people said that in the 90s or the 80s or whatever versus how often they said it in 2016, like the rate increases so much that people care about that. There's nothing worse than going to your in-laws and then having them just rant and rave some kind of extremist, conservative, or liberal idea. And if you're not the same uh, on the same side, it is 
like mind tearing and you get angry and you want to start a war. You Mm -hmm. want to start a war with your in-laws and you may already want to start a war with your in-laws, but this just is like the fodder for the fire, right? It just gets the fire going. Mm -hmm. One of the things I really like, so most of the first part is the things that we have talked about, but it ends Hmm. with some suggestions. Like what do we do now that this is the reality we live in and we're rolling into election season, we're just less than a month away and people should be voting and people should be engaged. How do you do it in a way that is like protective of your own heart and your friendships? And the first suggestion I really liked was um, that instead of just consuming media about politics, that the thing that we need to do is get involved. Hmm. And there's this quote that I really loved from the article, which is that when we watch politics but without getting involved, this is what we're like. What they are doing is no closer to engaging in politics than watching Sports Center is to playing football. Hmm. Which I thought was a great quote. Like it's true. Like we watch it as armchair pundits, and that isn't the same as being involved in politics. There's a philosopher, an American philosopher named Richard Rorty, who says that theory without practice produces theoretical hallucinations. Hmm which I love that idea. Like it, there's nothing that grounds us in real relationships or on like what the problems are like actually on the ground. And so we just become ivory tower thinkers. And it's, it's the same thing as having hallucinations. Like these ideas don't mean anything on the ground if they're not actually being played out where it matters. I actually understood that phrase by Richard. Rorty. Rorty. Yeah. It's a good one. That's a good phrase by him. I use it a lot. I scrolled down to the bottom of the article and I really like the third point, but I know you're going to talk about these two. So the third point to me, if I can, I do that one first. Yeah, hit it. Turn off ultra partisan news sources, especially on your own side. When something is feeding uh, my belief in politics or the side that I'm on, it makes me feel angry, negative, and empowered. It makes me want to go and yell at people or go to Facebook and write some weird post. So yeah, I really do enjoy turning on, you know, as much of a fact-based news Mm -hmm. source as I can find. It Mm -hmm. feels actually refreshing now, especially when it just states the facts and doesn't give me opinion. And I'm getting really good at figuring out, oh, this is opinion, this is not. Because Mm -hmm. sometimes it's tricky. Yeah, it is tricky. Well, I think this actually kind of goes back to the statements that you were making about the debate, which is like, why do we do this? Because the arguments don't sway people. And the same <laughs> is true with partisan news. It, it convinces our own side that we are justified yeah. in the position that we have. Yeah. But it doesn't sway other people to our side. And the truth is, is like most of us, I don't mean this as an insult to our car listeners. This is true of me. Most of us do not logically think our way, and I, I, by most, I mean all of us, none of us logically think our way into the belief structures that we have. We are both heads and hearts and bodies. So we feel our way into the realities that we hold, and that shapes us just as much as our logic does. And so the arguments only go to like one part of our body. We feel and emote all information at the same time. And so you're just kind of like, putting yourself in like an ethos chamber of the same emotions and curating one set of feelings that contribute to your ideology. I love that idea that we don't logically think our way into it, that we're just a ball of feelings and we think we're intellectually Mm -hmm. working through it. But typically our, our, our belief structures, yeah, don't have that logical basis. So Mm -hmm. I, I think it's a great suggestion. Yeah. Turn off. Yeah. I like that one. Turn off partisan news sources, especially on your own side. And then the, the third one, 
which I think a lot of us have heard quite a bit, but is a practice we really should get engaged with, is just limit the consumption of political news generally. And it doesn't even, like, when you limit it, you feel better, and then you argue less, and you're, you know, like, even when you argue with someone, it usually just emboldens them to believe stronger in their mm-hmm. own beliefs. Mm-hmm. Well, I, there was a stat in this article that I really liked, which was um, people who consume a lot of news media, especially partisan news media, are statistically less informed about actual events around them than people who consume no or less uh, mm. media. And I thought that was fascinating. Like you would think that you would be gaining at least information also, but it's so run through an ideological and emotional lens that you are learning less at the end of the day. Mm. I feel like this has been such a stressful time for all of us. COVID, but not just COVID. Now we're in this election season and we're arguing, we're unfriending, we're losing friends, we're emboldening our own ideals. And so it got me looking around uh, about stress. Now, Mm. I can be a stress ball. (laughs) Sometimes I feel this tornado that just winds up in my chest. I don't know why. It's just like winding up. I'm that guy... One time I was flying to Jacksonville, Florida, and I stood up, and all of a sudden the world starts spinning. My heart was racing, and I essentially fell down on the floor. And you know, is that the the guy, the attendant's like, "Is there a doctor on board?" I was that guy, mm. and doc, you know, people are running around, and this doctor grabs my hand, and I look at him. I said, "The world's going dark." And he looks at me, <laughs> and the lady that's in the chair, she's looking just freaked out. She slowly reaches down. She grabs my hand. The doctor grabs my other hand. He goes, you're not going to die today, <laughs> Christian. <laughs> I love that. So I'm, I'm super stressed. So I started looking up articles, and I found this really fun article called 10 Weird Ways Your Body Reacts to Stress. And I'm just going to whip through these because I think they're really kind of funny, but they're also true. First one, you suddenly have to excuse yourself. Stress triggers the release of another fight or flight chemical known as corticotropin. It actually is the chemical that makes you want to take a dump. Huh. Animals do it right before they fight. Yeah. And sometimes you you feel stress and you have to go to the bathroom. By the way, this is probably too much information. I exhibit all of these on occasion. So I think that they're true because that's been my experience. But again, I'm logically not thinking through all these things. Right, Johnny? That's right. You break out. You get... Uh, zits. It, there's a hormone, a stress hormone that kicks this stuff out, uh, the oil out of your skin. You can't quite kick that cold. Your hair falls out. I must have been really stressed when I was 19. <laughs> Why were you so stressed at 19? That's like one of the best, easiest moments of life for most people. Well, I was a, I was a Mormon missionary at 19, so maybe there was some stress there. Yeah, you had a lot to work through. And I had a mullet. So this is your hair was stressing yourself out. It was. I took retreating from your head. I took so much. I had a permed mullet when I was 19. I think that caused me some stress. (laughs) Your brain shrinks. Did you know your brain shrinks? uh, Your brain shrinks when you're stressed out. No, that was the, I thought that was fascinating. So interesting, not to be dramatic, but stress flips a genetic switch off that would normally spur your brain to produce new synapses, which allows your brain cells to communicate with one another. This is what research shows from Yale. And as a result, your noggin's gray matter volume falls over time. Gray matter is the least partic- uh, partially involved in your emotion regulation. So not only does your brain shrink, but you have less emotion. I mean, I don't know if this is the same, but I feel like when I am stressed, I am the more stressed I get, the less 
clearly I'm thinking. Mm. And so then I do things that stress me out even further. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like a double entendre. Wait, no, that's poetry. It's a... Uh, a catch-22? Yeah, a catch-22. Yeah. <laughs> the more stressed you are, the less well you think through things and the more dumb decisions you make. You know, I have a friend of mine, he asked me one time, and you do all these dangerous things... And they seem to be, you seem to be just okay with it. And I don't know, I think maybe this brain shrinking thing, either it didn't affect me or it's affected me so much I didn't think because my response to him, (laughs) my response to him was, I really enjoy that energy. And maybe that's different. Maybe highly stressful situations might be different for people. Out of this article, one question that I realized or I want to ask Uh, the listeners is, do we have the same stress level for almost any situation? Or does the situation rise our stress levels? Because if you think Mm. about it, let's just say that you're having a dinner party and you're cooking and your husband or wife hasn't brought uh, some critical component and you're just freaking out and you're so mad and you're texting and you're shaking and you're calling and he's like, sorry, honey, I had a couple beers. I got to wait before I, you know, I, I get back in the car or whatever. And she, you're, just, you're, you're literally livid when he comes home or she comes home. And then let's say you get in a car accident and, or, or you find out somebody's in a car accident, you see, sorry, or let's say you see a car accident and it's somebody you know and you're, you're, you're there trying to, to take care of them until the cops come and you're super stressed out. Mm-hmm. One situation, there's somebody's life on the line. The other situation, it's a dinner party, but you're literally getting a migraine mm-hmm. from the same thing or you're literally rising to that same level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good question because I, I was thinking about this based on the article and then from some experiences I've had in my own life, like and dinner parties, a good example. Like I like to cook, but I don't know that I am a particularly efficient cook. So sometimes preparing a meal for a lot of people can be stressful though. I enjoy it, but I, but I have been in moments that it should be more stressful than that. Uh, like I think about a moment last year where I walked into my house and someone had broken into my home and I saw them face to face and had a conversation with that person. And I felt very calm in that moment. Wow. Um, and I know that there's other kinds of hormones that are moving into my brain as I like go into survival mode yeah. uh, that are different than the other ones. So it feels like, yeah, there's like different situations elicit different kinds of responses in some people. Hmm. And I think that some of us, or I would say all of us are probably have different stress reactions to different kinds of moments. Yeah. Like, you know, I have friends who are very good cooks and the dinner party that would make me stressful would not make them stressful. Sure. But I work with people all day. And so finding a person in my home maybe is not as stressful for me because I work with people who are often agitated regularly. The last time I walked into somebody who uh, broke into the, a business, um, I went crazy. eyed, grabbed the first thing I could see, which was a Fender Telecaster on the wall and went, ah! <laughs> and swung the guitar at his head as he was running, leaving out of the window he broke. Yeah, that's, I mean, I guess, so that's like your, you know, you go to your liminal part of your brain, which is like your fight, flight, mm. freeze uh, response, which is kind of a way in which stress plays itself out. And you go to, and you went to fight in that moment. Yeah, I guess maybe that's more of my natural reaction is a fight rather than a flight. So stress mm. affects me a little bit differently. I do like that heightened uh, potential. I do 
like the idea of high energy situations, it helps me think more clearly. Maybe it's the adrenaline mm-hmm. that I get mm-hmm. from that fight. But I do think that we tend to take our stress levels and hit and peg them out a lot, hmm. probably too much for not the right situation. Obviously you with the guy who came into your house, I'm assuming it's a guy. It could have been a girl. It was a guy. Yeah. Okay. The guy who came into your house, you, you, didn't take that as a stressful reaction, but um, I do think that most of us tend to rise to that level. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I don't know. It'd be interesting, you know, it's, if you like listening to the show to think about like, where do you get most stressed? And are there moments in your life too, where you don't get stressed, but you've seen other people get stressed in those same kinds of ways? Like how have you, and maybe that's a question, like, do you train your body intentionally or unintentionally to respond to certain stressful situations mm. better and then to respond to other stress, stressful situations worse. Like mm. do we actually train ourselves by the habits that we have and the way of life we have to respond and elicit certain kinds of emotions in those spaces? You're really helping me think through this, Johnny. I really appreciate that. <laughs> that's, what, that's, what, that's what I'm here for. You know, the article offers... No solutions. I think you offer the best solutions. Last word on talking about politics too much and stress. I think I think in both senses, we should develop habits and practices in our life that protect our heart, connect us to other people, and, and create spaces of rest because rest is really the only thing that deals with stress and anxiety. Mm. And so if we're feeling more stressed because of politics or because of other busyness in our life, then the thing that actually combats it is rest, not more work. That actually doubles down on the anxiety and the mm-hmm. stress. Yeah. Well said. Well, that ends this episode of Smart Guy, Dumb Guy. Come back every Monday or subscribe. That's a, a good idea. Find us on Instagram for quotes from the show and other interesting stuff. Thanks for engaging with us and listening to us just babble on today. But more than that, we hope this inspires you to have your own conversations. If you write us a review, we would jump for joy because it helps other people find the show. Find out about Johnny Morrison at johnnyis.com or about myself at christiansurge.com. See you next time. Thanks for listening. You have been listening to a Smart Guy and a Dumb Guy production, a podcast exploring culture, current events, and politics from both sides of the intellectual spectrum. See you next time.